Hello, everyone. Welcome to the MSU Wealth Management Association podcast, a show where two Michigan State students take turns interviewing financial advisors and other professionals in the wealth management industry to figure out if a career in the financial planning space is right for them. I'm Justin Halverson, a senior finance major at Michigan State and the current president of MSU WMA. Our guest today is Colin Overwick. Colin is the founder of Advise Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisory firm. He is also the youngest board member currently serving on the board for the Financial Planning Association of Michigan, where he serves as the next-gen chair. Colin got his bachelor's of finance from Michigan State University and also currently holds the CFP Certified Financial Planner designation. Colin, thanks for being here. Hey, Justin, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on today. So um, what we're trying to do here is just figure out uh, why a student, an MSU student, would want to be a financial advisor. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, did, did you always want to be uh, somebody involved in finance and in the wealth management field? I think what's cool about the financial planning space, even if you decide not to do that as a profession, is just how applicable it is. I mean, whether you have an interest in uh, money or not, I promise it has an interest in you. Uh, money touches every part of our life, uh, you know, whether you're uh, really charitably inclined or not at all, or trying to uh, promote business or whatever your field of interest is, you're probably going to have a paycheck, you're going to have expenses, where you're going to potentially have a, a mortgage someday or a car loan or paying down some type of debt, student loans, you name it. And uh, being knowledgeable in that area, whether you're an expert or not, really attracted me. Um, I'm kind of a, a practical guy, and uh, that really caught my interest uh, right from an early age. Someone got talking to me about how they made, you know, 50 bucks in the stock market. I think they had like an E-Trade or Fidelity account. And I was just blown away that you could be making money while you're not necessarily uh, using your, your hours in the day. Uh, to grow your wealth. And uh, I was really hooked ever since. And uh, kind of the, the, in, the curiosity just really led me down the finance path. That's awesome. So um, like when you came into MSU, it sounds like you already had an idea. So did you, you were a finance major uh, when you were at Michigan State? I did. Yep. I graduated with a finance degree. Uh, really didn't know uh, a whole lot about the, the wealth management space and all the different areas involved. Um, but I, I just knew that I wanted to uh, get involved in something that I could uh, apply to my own life and uh, had some uh, a couple of connections. My uncle was in the, kind of the insurance space, a little bit on the health insurance side, but you know, still talked a little bit about wealth management. So was always picking his brain and kind of understanding you know, how he got involved and the type of clients he's working with. And it was uh, kind of a, a good connection to make because the company that he worked for was looking for at the time a junior advisor and uh, was able to, to kind of get my foot in the door. And uh, basically through a, a number of conversations, they told me, hey, if you can get your Series 7 and 66 and some of those licenses, then uh, you, know, you might have a job. So uh, senior year, I, I really got to, to work and was able to pass those designations. And uh, the Monday after I, I walked on graduation was in the office and uh, honestly starting to make some of those cold calls, man. Oh, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's the name of the game, isn't it? Making those calls, making those connect 
connections, all the networking opportunities. That's that's awesome to hear. So you had the series seven and sixty six. Is that what you said when you like coming right out of school? Yep, coming right out of school. Those were the licenses that I had to get in order to uh, be able to sell products uh, for the broker dealer that I was working for. Um, so yeah, that that was really the the start to the, the the kind of the path that I've chosen. That's awesome. So um, if a student was interested, uh, an MSU student coming out of school, making sure that they're hitting the ground running in the field, would you recommend they get the Series 7, Series 66? Or is there anything else you'd recommend uh, an MSU student should be doing to yeah, make sure they hit the ground running? Well, Justin, that's probably a more loaded question than maybe what <laughs> you uh, are expecting. Uh, and the reason is, is because at the time, I, and I didn't know this when I was getting my designations, was that there's really kind of two fundamental areas in wealth management. You can go down the broker dealer space, or you can go down the registered investment advisory space, the RIA space. And the broker dealer space really was uh, founded upon product sales. So, you know, back in the good old days, like even pre-internet, in order to get financial products or to buy stocks, you literally had to call a broker. And back then, you know, that's how you receive your commission is, is that you'd go and sell those stocks. I mean, we've all seen Wolf of Wall Street, those guys making commissions, selling stocks. And that's really where the, the, the industry started is product sales. And then what started to happen is this beautiful thing. The, the Internet allowed us to go out and buy these products themselves. So then what broker dealers started to do is shift to say, OK, well, we don't just sell products. Now we're going to sell you a beautiful, diversified portfolio of products. And, you know, every broker dealer and their brother has a proprietary mutual fund or a product that is, of course, you know, super flashy and it's going to do all these great things. And that space honestly is still existing today. It has morphed dramatically. And now we can throw the uh, advisor or the registrate, you know, representative or whatever uh, uh, tag that you want to put uh, behind your name here. And then these broker dealers have even gotten smarter to understand that advice is really where the, the, uh, the value is held. But what's funny is that on the RIA side, the registered investment advisor side, advice has always been the name of the game. So when I got started, I spent the first four years of my career in the broker dealer space the, where I was working for a broker dealer. I was selling some of their proprietary products. They were receiving uh, a piece of the, the commission I was making and life was good there. But the problem is, is that these broker dealers need to make money. And if you start giving advice or counsel on products that they don't sell or manufacture or maybe recommend, well, you're going to start butting heads with the hand that feeds you. So what I actually did is uh, after a few years in this space is decided to go down my own path and I started my own registered investment advisor. So I file directly with FINRA and the SEC, my paperwork and my legal documentation. And I actually since then have dropped my series seven and 66 because those are really licensed to uh, to basically to, to allow you to sell products. So the only registration, well, that's actually more the Series 7, excuse me. But so the only re uh, designation I carry right now is the CFP. That's that's great. I'm a few CFP program. I know that's how I first got into it. It's, it's so important for people to understand what the difference is between like a fee only 
RIA firm and the traditional brokerage. I mean, I'm pretty sure my parents don't really even quite understand the difference. So it's yeah, important distinction. Absolutely. I mean, I feel terrible for consumers out there. Everyone has a name tag financial advisor. So, you know, how, how can you determine? I didn't even know it, you know, two, three years into the industry. I had no idea what the differences were. No one was ever teaching or, or talking about what fee only was. That's really started to take off in the last few years as, you know, the, the fiduciary word and some other buzzwords have, have started to become more popular in the, in the finance services industry. So, um, to, you know, I guess you could almost say to play devil's advocate to the fee only side. Do you think there's still room for the traditional broker dealer model in the world of finance? Um, so maybe another way to ask that is, can you define what financial planning and wealth management is in your in your own words? Is there a difference between the sales side and the, the advice side? Absolutely. So I, I do believe that there's a, a area for both. And I also don't believe that you know, fee-only advisors are holier than thou, and that commission is evil by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we need products out there like insur- life insurance, uh, long-term care insurance in some cases, disability insurance in some cases. These are still really important tools to leverage. And it's, it's actually, in my opinion, the fee-only world has maybe swung the pendulum a little bit too far because I know a lot of fee-only advisors out there that um, maybe aren't able to implement some of the recommendations because they uh, aren't willing to talk about some of these commissionable products. Uh, so, you know, I think that there is an area for both. I think probably the best model is maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, I personally have chosen to become fee only for my firm uh, just so that I think as of right now in 2020, that's one of the only ways to uh, kind of distinct yourself as a advice first practitioner. And so I really try to uh, make myself agnostic as to which products we're going to use. I don't care if we're using BlackRock, Vanguard, you know, T. Rowe Price, Fidelity. I literally have no preference as to what funds we're using. And, and I try to make that a very, very, very clear but that doesn't mean that just because you're associated with one of those firms uh, in the broker-dealer space or the RIA custodian space doesn't mean you can't do great work for your clients. So um, I'm not here to bash anyone by any stretch. I think there's great advisors at bad firms and, mm-hmm. and bad advisors at great firms. So at the end of the day, I think uh, developing that trust with your clients and, and, uh, and educating the general public on what questions to ask you know, how are you compensated? You know, what uh, designations do you have? And, you know, making sure that your interests are aligned with the client. Yeah, that's so important. You mentioned that word trust. You, you, you want to be that trusted advisor that they come to first, right? Before the CPA, before the attorney, before everybody else. So, yeah, that's so important. Um, so, you, you spent sides, you spent time on both sides. You've been in the broker space. You now have started your own firm, which is awesome. That is uh, very cool to hear. Uh, for anybody who's like entrepreneurial, Colin's the guy to talk to. Um, so can you maybe tell us a little bit about w- what the differences are between working for a firm as an advisor and being the only advisor at a firm? So what should a student, if they, if they want to do the entrepreneurial route, uh, what should they be thinking about if they want to uh, you know, maybe follow in your footsteps, so to speak? Sure. Uh, great question. And Justin, I would really uh, 
uh, recommend people to do a little soul searching before they decide to uh, embark on their own path. Um, I honestly, if uh, in hindsight, if I would have been able to uh, maybe take some of my own advice that I give college students now of reaching out to your heroes, you know, finding people in the space that you look up to, reading their books. And I probably would have gone and worked at some of these awesome RIAs that are doing amazing work. But back in uh, when, when I made that decision to go off on my own, um, I really wasn't using my resources to connect with other advisors. And I unfortunately think that that's kind of a little bit of the, uh, um, in some light, a broker dealer mentality where, you know, it's almost a zero sum game. If Justin makes a sale, then, you know, he took a little bit from what I could have done. And I know that's not true for all uh, for all BDs, but um, in the RIA space, it seems to be a little bit more of, hey, you're on the right side of the advice business and we want to see everyone succeed. And there's so many different niches involved that you could be working with someone that maybe you wouldn't even want to, another advisor wouldn't even uh, want to deal with. So I found that to be a lot more collaborative, but um, to, uh, to give anyone recommendation on going down the path of entrepreneurship uh, is to buckle up your seatbelt and get ready to wear a lot of different hats. Because uh, yes, you have to be a really good financial planner to the point that you, know, you can really go out and sell yourself and, and talk about uh, your services because I see all kinds of great advisors out there but if you're not able to communicate in your message and explain your value, you could be the best advisor in the world. But if you're not selling and able to communicate your message, you're not helping anybody. And you're going to be a really hungry financial planner, not working with anyone. So I don't think that it's really for everyone. And, you know, even uh, to, to expand on that, um, you know, I have to wear the marketing hat, the compliance hat, the sales hat. Uh, you know, following up with clients, uh, you know, so there's so many different areas that it can become uh, really overwhelming and, you know, you can be dropping some balls. So there's some danger to, to being, to going down your own path. Um, and if you're in the, uh, uh, you know, working at a large firm, you can really just focus on becoming the best financial planner that you can be, or becoming the best investment manager or the best at one thing. And uh, I would highly recommend someone to maybe take that route prior to trying to be an expert in multiple different areas. Um, I actually even had to like create my own website and like, you know, all that stuff. And oh my gosh, it was, it was a one little line item on my to-do list. But then once you start diving into it, it's like, oh my gosh, are you going to use Weebly, Wix, Squarespace, WordPress? Are you going to hire it out? Are you going to do it yourself? It's, it just becomes really overwhelming really quick. The, the website, it never ends too. I had to do that for the club. I know. And yeah, you get it. It changes every day. I feel like every week you're updating it. You want to add something else. So that's, um, yeah, I feel your pain on that one. Uh, do you think that somebody who wanted to go into their, go into business for themselves in this industry has to be maybe like a certain kind of temperament? Uh, do you think that they have to have certain, possess certain kind of qualities? So when you're talking about soul searching, um, if you, you know, reflected and did a little bit of that searching and decided that you do want to go into business for yourself, um, you mentioned communication, but is there any kind of like hierarchy of needs or anything else but besides the communication that the, these entrepreneurs should be focusing on? Yeah, I think probably having to pick your battles, right? 
Um, you know, maybe even if you are a, a more of the uh, inter introverted and, you know, you want to be the brains behind the outfit, maybe you do have to partner up with someone to uh, be more on the sales side. Or maybe if you're like me and you want to make friends with everyone and, and more uh, on the communication side, uh, then maybe you have to find someone to help you on the back end. So what I've done in that area is that I've actually outsourced the investment management. I love investments. I love rebalancing. I love tax loss harvesting and understand the intricacies that go into it. But the problem is, is that there's so much layered on top of it. You know, who's going to send out the client reports? Who's going to do the billing? Who's going to do uh, all the different pieces that are involved with the investment management? So I actually go ahead and found an outsource or a way to outsource that to a, a third party that is managing billions of dollars for thousands of clients. And I'm able to just throw my label on the on the front page there and uh, and be able to harness and hold that uh, kind of in-house, but uh, still not being having to work on it every single day. So I think probably picking what you're going to be uh, doing yourself and what you're able to outsource and kind of start to build your teams, whether that team is a an individual or it's a piece of technology or SaaS or an IPA or all the above, um, that's that's uh, really important for you to, to start figuring out and building together. Yeah, and it, it's so important to start early, right? Because how do you know what you like until you actually go in and do it and figure out what it takes and how much effort is involved. So yeah, that uh, got to wear the different hats. That's um, the name of the game in this industry, seems like. So stepping back generally, um, if there was a student who's interested in financial planning, so maybe let's think of like a freshman or sophomore, somebody who's just learning about what this is. Um, is there anything that you would let them know? Um, it doesn't matter if they want to go entrepreneurial, but just anything basically about the industry to any incoming finance students. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is uh, staying curious and building out that network. So I mentioned finding your heroes and following them on social media, following their websites. It is incredible what you can learn from podcasts and from blogs and from YouTube videos by some of these incredible minds that are just putting this content out from some of their life work for free. Um, I mean, I use social media, in my opinion, probably until the last like year or two, almost the wrong way. Or, or if you want to you create a second account, which I've done in a lot of platforms like Instagram and Twitter, where I don't follow my friends. I don't care what my friends are doing on the weekend on these platforms. I try to keep it a news media outlet that I can cultivate and I can find. I don't care what my follower to you know, uh, following ratio is, or if I look cool or anything like that, like my Twitter, my business Twitter is, is my news feed. And it is just surrounded me with really, really smart minds. And, uh, I can't believe some of the conversations I've been able to get involved in and some of the connections that I've made by just starting to, to put myself in those networks. So that's probably the area that I uh, wish that I would have done better in and would recommend someone as young as a freshman or sophomore who is just trying to understand and learn as much as they can. Um, I, I would say, yes, you're going to be drinking from a, a fire hose, but if you're able to start to, to follow and, and see some of those individuals who are successful in the space, even if you don't want to become them, just understanding how they got there, what they're doing to stay successful is really, really cool. And I think giving yourself some grace. Uh, you know, this is a long, 
long uh, path ahead, right? I mean, if you're a lifelong learner and you have that mindset, you're not trying to learn to, to necessarily get ahead just to the next step. Every, you know, what you're going to look back over a, a five-year period and be completely baffled by what you're able to accomplish by just being curious and having fun with it. I know myself, when I walked on MSU's campus, there was no way you told me if I was going to get into the finance program or a wealth management, I would have told you, you're, you're kidding. There's no way that's me. And two years later, you know, look where we are, look what we're doing. So that's, that's great to hear. So Colin, thanks so much cool. for being on today. Um, I'll, lastly, I just want to open the floor to you. Um, we learned a lot. It's very insightful. But is, is there anything else we didn't cover that you would like to say to any, any student who's thinking about pursuing this as a career path? Um, financial planning is a really special area. I mentioned it on the opening line that even if you end up not choosing it as a career, you are going to learn some really, really impactful uh, and, and useful knowledge that you can use on a day-to-day -day basis. So I highly recommend, even if it's, a, you know, if you're going into medicine and you're just looking for a, an extra class, I would, instead of, instead of picking that golf class, like I chose, maybe go ahead and jump into a finance course and don't care about your grades, really just try to learn and just enjoy it and be curious uh, and, and make some friends in that area. Uh, and every person that you bump into uh, is, is a potential uh, lifelong colleague, but maybe a future employer or employee or business partner. So just sustaining those connections and, and uh, trying to learn in the, for the sake of learning and not for the sake of grades. Awesome. Colin Overwig, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Justin. Thanks for doing this. This is really, really cool. I wish uh, uh, we would have gotten something like this off the ground when I was in school. So props to you. Hey, thanks, man. COVID uh, has closed doors, but it's opened others. So we'll see. That's the correct mindset. If you like what you heard today, Hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The MSU Wealth Management Association is a student group at Michigan State aimed at training the next generation of financial advisors. For more information, check out our website, msuwma.com. See you guys next week.